You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome, fellow island lovers. You're listening to A History of the Caribbean in 100 Objects. This is a podcast about the rich history of the cultures and societies of the Caribbean told through objects from the earliest period to modern times. I'm Alice Sampson. I'm a Caribbean archaeologist and a lecturer at the University of Leicester. And I am Angus Moll. I'm also a Caribbean archaeologist and I'm a postdoctoral fellow at Stanford University. So we have something special on the menu for today. We certainly do. Today, we're going to be talking about a cute, fluffy animal, which was indeed quite often on the menu. Well, what I have before me right now, Alice, it doesn't really look that cute or fluffy at all. It looks kind of bony. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. It used to be cute and fluffy, but now all we're looking at are a couple of mandibles or jaw bones, which are very small. Maybe they're sort of, you know, two or three centimeters long, filled with teeth. And the top and the bottom teeth are long, rat-like incisors. And the bottom molars are, well, they're quite characteristic. They have quite a sort of swirly pattern on on the occlusal or chewing uh, surface. And this is very diagnostic um, of this creature. And they're from a creature called a hutia, which is a type of rodent. Yes, it's a type of rodent, uh, which is, with its very formal Latin name, is from the genus Plariodontia, right? Um, that sort of hides the fact that these are not little cute rodents. Well, they're cute, but they're not little. They are basically rats the size of cats. So if you <laughs> like, you know, you like your cats or your rats, you'll probably love Hutias. And well, I have to say, Alice, they are just so cute. They have the smallest ears. Have a, okay, maybe the naked tail isn't very cute at all, but their fur, their their cuddly fur, and they have a cute look on their face too. I mean, I'm just I'm just melting looking at them. Not so much when I'm, uh, not so much when I'm looking at the bones because they do have fearsome teeth. But you know, if you look at, look them in the face that we're doing right now, the picture that I'm looking at right now, they're 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 just cute as bunnies, which they well, they're they're bigger than bunnies and maybe less cute. Um, so because bunnies are most of the time, they don't really weigh one to two kilos, which is the average weight of weight of, um, of an adult tortilla. And that in fact makes it the largest terrestrial animal around in the islands before the period of the encounter. So before 1492 and after the extinction of the mega fauna in the Caribbean, which took place likely before humans ever arrived there. So is in fact this rat the size of a cat was one of the biggest uh, the biggest uh, terrestrial animal in the island importantly it's endemic to the caribbean so it's um can trace its ancestry to the islands unlike other types of rodents that we find in the caribbean as well guinea pigs for example and interestingly you can see that they have had a long history of development on the islands because every uh, island every major island has them and in the greater antilles we're talking and all of them have m- different species. So you have a Jamaican hutia, a Cuban hutia, a Dominican hutia, and even there you have lots of different subspecies. Of course, these very important animals have been studied in, through many different ways. Geneticists have looked at them. 
biologists still study them today because they're still around today. And zooarchaeologists, like zooarchaeologists, like for example Renato Rimoli from uh, the Dominican Republic, have done a lot of work on their fossil remains. Uh, another person who has studied their remains in terms of the archaeological context and the ritual context and the social context of that is Michelle Lefebvre from the Florida Museum of Natural History. She also works on the project called Nexus 1492, where she's in fact looking at the changes of the, the context, the social, ritual, uh, and of course also edible context, which we will talk about in a little while, um, of this um, cute and fluffy animal and how it changed from the pre-colonial to the colonial period. Yeah, in, indeed. And, you know, you started off this conversation by asking, as you often do, what is on the menu for today? And, you know, these these little animals were, no matter how cute they were, were frequently on the menu of um, pre-Columbian uh, people of the Caribbean. So their bones are frequently found in archaeological assemblages, on archaeological sites, especially sites that are more sort of inland. And uh, But you also find them on the coast as well, and especially in the northern Caribbean. So, yeah, the larger islands of Cuba, Jamaica. These ones, for example, were found on... Uh, an archaeological site in Dominican Republic, the site of Nizibong, which we've talked about before. Mm -hmm. And they've been identified as Hutia teeth, Hutia mandibles by Sam Turvey of the Zoological um, Society of London, who's also done a lot of work on um, these uh, uh, mammals. And in Nizibong, they were found with a whole load of other food remains. So it's very likely they were also the sort of remains of someone's dinner. So they were found all kinds of fish remains and um, uh, shellfish and uh, freshwater oysters and would have probably formed part of, um, yeah, basically a, a delicious daily diet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, delicious. I, I don't know what they taste like. I mean, you know, we talked about the mountain chicken in a previous episode, mm. but I wouldn't know what these things taste <laughs> like. However, it is it is clear that they um, were preferred types of food in the Caribbean. Um, so two, two people that have done a lot of work on, um, on the consumption of different types of food in the Caribbean are Lee Newsom and Elizabeth Wing. And they think, and they've suggested, that Hutia were kept in, uh, maybe in captivity, or they were uh, sort of allowed to roam around in the house gardens. And so they were not really domesticated, but they were semi-domesticated. They're part of maybe an activity called garden hunting. So um, garden hunting, yes. that's, that doesn't sound very taxing. So basically you, you open your back door, you, 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 you feel around a bit, you grab one of these hutia and that's, that's your hunting done for the day. This is a very different image of hunting from the image of a sort of spear wielding macho hunter after big sort of predatory game animals. Right. I mean, sometimes <laughs> life in the Caribbean can be quite easy and happy, not happy for the hutia, but easy for the people that uh, are having to hunt hutia. So well, in the lowland South Americas, you have these, these brave, brave people running around, men or women, I don't care, with, with spears trying to chase off jaguars and hunting peccary. Well, in the Caribbean, they just go to their garden and grab themselves a mikutia. <laughs> um, interestingly, though, uh, it's not really like a mikutia because it wasn't really like for everybody probably this food. Some people have suggested that hutia were elite foodstuffs, so only to be eaten by certain people in certain contexts. Uh, we can find little bits of evidence about that in uh, the chronicles, the early uh, Spanish chronicles, 
where hutia are often uh, put on a menu when caciques have to entertain uh, Spanish leaders. And there they often serve hutia and other types of rodent as, as a, you know, as a, a main part. Like we would, you know, around Christmas serve uh, the, the turkey or the rabbit or whatever you, I guess, I guess in the UK you serve or whatever you call it, your, your meat, your meatloaf or not your meatloaf, your, um, <laughs> Roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. Roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. Oh, well, so that's like that's the main main part of the dish. Hutia were in specific cases very likely that main part of the dish. So it may, from our perspective, it seems a bit weird, right? That elites would prefer to eat a rodent, right? Or anybody would prefer to eat a rodent. We definitely would not relish the thought of sinking our teeth into a rat. But <laughs> that's yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but, th- th- of course, we cannot really argue about taste. And food cultures in particular are very diverse around the globe. One man's meat is another man's poison, and one man's poison is another man's meat. In addition, it's kind of important to n- know that uh, the Caribbean, especially before the arrival of, of European uh, mammals, uh, cattle and uh, things like that, uh, terrestrial fauna in the Caribbean was what we call depauperate. So it was it is an island condition. There weren't really many big mammals. I already talked about that. And there wasn't really that much meat, like meat that we would consider meat to go around. So if the hutia is the biggest thing out there, together maybe with things like iguana, mm. so reptiles, that's probably going to be you know a special type of dish that you will not be able to uh, have too often. Aside from that, it's, you know, even if it wasn't elite, if a hungry man is hungry, he's just going to eat everything. And that was once again the case with Columbus. I talked about him and his um, stay um, in Jamaica, North Jamaica, when he was marooned there for a year. And there, in fact, one of the things that he really, he and his crew really were seeking to buy from the uh, local people there was Jamaican hutia, or uh, as they call it on Jamaica now, the coney. They still eat coney today, in fact in Jamaica, although they are not supposed to, right? Because they are quite endangered, right, Alice? They they are very endangered. They are very endangered. In fact, it's quite difficult, I think, to get an idea of population numbers because um, some of the behavioural characteristics of these creatures, like uh, other sort of endemic uh, species like like Selenodon, is that they are... Um, very shy and they're nocturnal. They like hiding in woodlands and they don't like um, they don't like uh, being being disturbed. They don't like their habitat being changed. They don't like being hunted down by 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 dogs and uh, mongooses, which is what happens uh, today. And um, because of this shyness, they're often what conservation biologists call non-charismatic animals, which is a little Aww, bit unfair. They're basically, unfair. non-charismatic in contrast to more charismatic animals like the big predators um, such as a jaguar or popular animals like pandas okay but I think that you know calling them non-charismatic is, is a little bit unfair I mean not only were they valued as a as a trade uh, commodity and as a food source but they were also food to think with so they had symbolic value and we can see that in um, in material culture I know there's one particular um, adorno so decoration on a on a saladoid ceramic vessel um, from the island of, of Vieques in in Puerto Rico which has a very beautiful sort of anatomically correct depiction of a, of a hutia 
And zoologists also uh, love them because you can tell a lot about, as, as you mentioned earlier, Angus, about ancient animal dispersals um, from how different the, the populations are on separate islands. So although I think the, 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 the Hispaniolan uh, hutia, a lot of the Hispaniolan hutia are, are quite large, maybe one to two kilos. There were also dwarf hutia and all different, all different types. And they were very common probably in, in pre-Columbian uh, times, so pre-1500, but they're now extremely endangered and um, various species of them and subspecies of them are often thought to be extinct. Have you ever seen one, Angus? Have you ever seen a hutia? Well, I have um, seen one, but um, uh, not in the Caribbean. But I have a family member who has had a, a close encounter of the hutia kind in uh, <laughs> in Cuba, in fact. Uh, so my sister, <clears throat> we were all on, on a holiday, actually, in Cuba. And while I was uh, getting my um, scuba license, my sister and my mother were touring um, an island, a little island off the coast of uh, Trinidad uh, called Cayo de Hutia. So mm. literally... And the Hutti, name gives it away. Hutia K. Uh, what do you know? On Hutia K, there were lots and lots of Hutia. And they were there, brought there in a sailing boat. And um, they were having lunch on the island. And, um, you know, as part of that lunch, these Hutia are quite smart creatures. So they, they zeroed in on the fact a long time ago that... When these boats came around, food was also coming around. So the tour uh, guides, in fact, had brought food for them as well. Uh, bread, French baguette. And they, <laughs> and they encouraged people to start feeding that to the hutia. And so my sister and my mother were happily feeding them. <laughs> but then, <laughs> at a certain point, the biggest of the bunch, the meanest hutia of them all, noticed the fact that my sister had lovely white legs that kind of looked a bit like French baguette. And he just, this is her story, he just ran up to her without any sort of provocation, clawed his little hands on the back of her calf, the back of her leg, and just with a big chump sunk his long, long teeth right into her, into her muscles, into, into the back of her leg. And you know, that's kind of a painful thing to uh, have happened to you. So maybe these animals aren't really that cute. Maybe this one particularly was a bit uh, uncharismatic. Uh, or, but or too charismatic, <laughs> perhaps too charismatic. <laughs> maybe there was too much attraction between the two of them. Maybe that was the thing that was going on. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, hutias, uh, uh, don't let yourself get bitten by hutia because they can in fact carry rabies. And when we went back to, when my sister went back to, to check with the doctor, the Cuban doctor said, well, it could be, we don't think that they, these these Hutia hutias are actually carrying rabies, but if you uh, start to get afraid of water in six about six months, then you uh, caught rabies from none of them. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> anyway, don't let yourself get bitten by one of them. No, indeed. And if you visit Cayo de Jutia, wear thick trousers and don't carry a baguette. Yes, no, I think, I, well, I've, I've only seen, I've only seen them once too, but that, that wasn't, wasn't in the Caribbean at all. It was actually in a zoo in, in Rotterdam. All right. That's where I've seen them myself as well. And, you know, they're there behind glass, which is safer for both the Jutia and, and people that uh, are there. Although, I mean, just having shared that, maybe a bit of a story about a nasty Jutia. They are also kept as pets in Cuba. Um, I will try to find some YouTube movies about, once again, these super cute creatures that are just being kept as kind of a cross between a dog and a cat uh, in, in these Cuban homes by the, and these owners that just love them to bits. 
Yeah, but as I said, they, they, are, they are some of the most um, endangered uh, animals in the world. And then a lot of um, Caribbean endemic species are, um, are, are threatened, and, and the hutia is, is one of them. But there, there is some positive news on that front. So um, Sam, Sam Turvey from the, from the London Zoological Society recently found a new subspecies of hutia on, on Hispaniola. And I think he's, he's got a paper coming out very soon describing that. Mm. So even though these little critters are in serious dangers, they, they are out there and we still have a lot to learn from them. Well, that just about wraps it up on, on the Hutia. And uh, yeah, this concludes the show. All right. Please give us your feedback because we are uh, still newbies on the podcast scene. Although, Alice, I think with this episode, we are in fact somewhere in the tens already or maybe at number 10, I don't know. That means that we, we probably aren't really newbies anymore and either we should be getting better at this or we have already, you know... <laughs> peaked and this is what it's going to be like folks from now on um however we would really like your feedback on how we're doing uh, the type of stories that we're bringing you um if it if they activate you to think about caribbean history and about caribbean heritage if you want to know more if you want to have longer episodes shorter episodes um just let us know just just share your mind with us because that's why we are doing this for all of you who have uh, stuck with us so far till this episode thank you uh, a lot and if you really like us go to itunes or wherever some sort of website where you can leave reviews for us and most importantly share this podcast with everybody that you think may be interested or even people that you think are not interested but should be all right so thank you so much for listening to this episode of A History of the Caribbean in 100 Objects where we have discussed a Houthia mandible from Nizibon. Please go to shoresoftime.com for illustrations and links to further information. And most importantly of all, please tune in next time. Yes, because in the next episode we will once again talk about something which is probably as charismatic and cute as the as the Houthia, for sure as fascinating as the Houthia. Um, we will speak to you then. Goodbye for now. And remember what the great Bob Marley said. In this great future, you can't forget your past. All right. I cool. think that was a fun one. That it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't short either. It wasn't short either. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> we it. do. Uh, I was going to say rabbit on. We do hootier on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs>